Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. All right, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about responding to the Mormon missionary message. In fact, we're going to be reviewing a book today uh, that just came out, co-authored by our very own Pastor Ross Anderson. So Ross, before we get to the book, let me just make a couple of notes to our listeners. We're actually publishing this episode on our Truth Podcast. So for those of you who aren't colorblind, that's the red one, you know, when you're on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're posting this on a Tuesday to our Truth Podcast, but we're also going to cross-promote this on another podcast from Pursue God called Unveiling Mormonism. So if you're listening on our Truth Podcast and you've never heard of our Unveiling Mormonism podcast, I hope today's episode will inspire you to want to learn more about Mormonism. And so check out that podcast, subscribe to it, maybe get caught up on all those episodes. If you're listening on our Unveiling Mormonism podcast, maybe you didn't realize that we have another podcast where we publish on Tuesdays and Fridays uh, more general biblical content on our Truth Podcast. So again, if you're if you're hearing this from, from the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, check out our Truth Podcast. If you're hearing this from our Truth Podcast, check out the other one. So anyway, Ross, that's all I have for, for uh, intro for our folks. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about this book that just came out. Again, we'll put a link to this below if people want to check out this book. But tell us about this book. And more, more important than the book is we want to actually give information to people about how to respond to the Mormon missionary message. Right. So the book, really, the, the idea of the book came about because the Mormon church sends mission, missionaries out. They've got some 65,000 proselytizing missionaries out right now. And they've said that by the end of the year, that their numbers will should go up to around 100,000, including the ones who are proselytizing and the ones they call them service missionaries. With the majority of them are proselytizing. They're the ones that we that we see riding their bikes, you know, down the down the street, or the ones who are going to knock on your door potentially and and uh, share their message with, or seek an opportunity to share their message with you. And and the fact is that um, Mormonism grows through this missionary effort considerably. And so many, many people are being uh, converted to Mormonism out of a Christian background. People like the people who attend our churches. And so the, the 35% of Mormons are converts to the church. The rest grew up in the church. But for the converts, over 80% come out of a decidedly Christian background. And they, you know, there's like a, a Baptist church, equivalent of a Baptist church being converted to Mormonism every day. Um, around the, around the country, and so he said, "Look, we we can do something that will help people to engage and to uh, really be able to discern what the Mormon missionaries are saying because they use a lot of language and terminology. They frame their message very much a way that is acceptable or understandable on the surface level to people from a Christian background. But beyond that, we said, look." Why don't we equip people to actually share their faith with the LDS missionaries? These young men, young women, you know, they're coming to our door, and how do we treat them? We want to model how to treat them kindly and, and to really understand what's going on in their life and their experience uh, as a missionary. But also we said, look, why can't Christians engage these Mormon missionaries uh, with the gospel? And who knows what will happen, you know, down the line. Nobody's going to leave Mormonism as a missionary and during their mission. There's too many controls and, and too much uh, structure going on. But what happens down the line when they get back home, when they evaluate? You know, a lot of the Mormon missionaries have told us that they did never had, they've never had a positive experience with um, are kind of traditional Christians that they're sometimes mocked and vilified and they're shouted at and and uh, but they've never had a positive conversation most of them with uh, a type of Christian like us and so we said hey let's try to equip people to have those conversations for the sake of what happens if missionaries if if the missionary movement of Mormonism gets stalled out because missionaries are changing their views. Wouldn't that be, uh, wouldn't that really change the dynamics of growth and the relationship between Mormonism and traditional Christianity? That's why we wrote the book. 
Now, hold on a second. Some of our listeners might be saying, what, what, wait, wait, aren't these Christians? Now, probably most of our listeners understand Mormonism, but Ross, we'd run into Christians all the time who really don't, don't understand Mormonism. And we're going to get into the message a little bit, but let's just give a little preview. Are these, are Mormons Christians for, for our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with Mormon theology? Give me like the 60 second version of that. And then we'll unpack that a little bit more, obviously, when we go through their message. I, I don't know about any individual Mormon. They might have a relationship with Jesus that saves them. But Mormonism as a whole is very different from traditional biblical Christianity as a whole. Because their view of God is very different. Their view of salvation is very different. Their view of, of uh, the, what happens before this world and what happens after this life in this world is over is very different. Their view of Jesus is different. And so as we understand the term Christian— we would say, no, the Mormons are not Christians. Now, they understand the word Christian differently. And so they think they are Christians, and they're offended when we don't think they are. But that's because we're using the word with two different definitions. So it's good to have that conversation with a Latter-day Saint to say, what What do you mean by that word? I had that conversation with my brother. And he says, by the time we were done, he says, oh, well, if that's what you mean by a Christian, I don't want to be known as that kind of a Christian. Mm-hmm. So right, that's the exactly. idea. And for again, for our listeners who maybe are newer to this, you know, Ross, you and I do ministry in Utah. We have, you have for over 30 years. I've been here for over 20 years. So, I mean, this is obviously we deal with this almost every day, certainly every week. But, you know, people maybe listening from the South are like, I don't know a Mormon. I've never, I mean, I know what you're talking about with the missionaries. I've seen them on their bikes or whatever. Um, but I've, I, you know, I've never really engaged with a Mormon. I don't really know much about Mormonism. I would encourage you to check out our Unveiling Mormonism podcast. It gives you all the details, really helps to uh, sort of unveil their history, their doctrine. And we're going to do a little bit of that today. But Ross, your your book, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message, is really a response to something called Preach My Gospel. So explain what that is and how a Mormon missionary is going to use that if they come knocking on your door. Yes, yeah, since uh, 2004, the missionary curriculum, they use this curriculum to train their missionaries to tell them how to succeed as a missionary, but embedded within that are five lessons that they want their missionaries to convey to people who are, they call them investigators, but people who they're seeking to convert to the Mormon church. And so we said, look, this this is the message. We're not making this message up. We're not just inventing something. We said, let's go look to what the church has published as their message. And it's called Preach My Gospel. And it's been their message for the last nearly 20 years. And it will continue to be in, in different forms, but it's called, called pre my Gospel. So we said, look, let's, let's interact directly with that so that when the missionaries come to your house, you're going to know kind of where they're headed in that week. You're going to know kind of what the things that they're going to talk about are, and so you can prepare a biblical response to those things. So, Ross, walk us through kind of chapter by chapter where this book goes, and then let's, and, and again, this isn't just about the book. It's we actually want to help our listeners to understand how to respond respond to the Mormon missionary message. But again, you might find it useful to pick up a copy of this book and read through it if you're meeting with some missionaries. So, how how you've got co-authors? How is this co-authored? And how you know how do, how does the book work through this this information? The primary co-author is a guy named Corey Miller. He is the president uh, and CEO of a campus ministry called Ratio Christi that's on hundreds of campuses around the United States. He's a former Mormon, as I am a former Mormon. And we said, look, why don't we go recruit some individuals who once were Mormon missionaries, but now who have since come to faith in Jesus and who have a great story and testimony. So so we have sort of the people who know the most, who are the experts on it, who are uh, who are now also deconstructing it. We have these former Mormon missionaries who are going to tell us you know what the the message is all about it, and what the biblical response to that message is. But also, it's it's um, each chapter includes each of those former missionaries' personal stories. It, it's very moving. I, I found it to be very engaging personally. So it's a powerful blend of head and heart. We address the cognitive, we address the 
the mind with the with the content of the Bible and the and the missionary message, but also we address the the affective, the heart. You you see how eventually these missionaries, uh, what the doubts and the struggles that they were going through when while they were missionaries, and what their life was like, and how hard it was, and their interactions with Christians along the way, and ultimately how they came to faith in Jesus. So we recruited people who really know what they're talking about to write each chapter, and then Corey and I sort of, uh, we wrote each a chapter of our own, and then we kind of uh, herded the whole group through the process of finishing their work and getting it ready for publication. Okay, so in chapter one, Ross, you talk a little bit about the LDS culture and how that culture influences how the LDS, and for people who don't know, LDS means Latter-day Saint, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, so that's the same thing as saying a Mormon. So, the LDS culture influences how a Mormon hears the gospel, the good news. Talk us through that. Well, all of us are embedded in culture. Different cultures, but culture is what tells us how to live life every day. It's a shortcut. It's all the little, we don't have to think about the things that are defined by our culture. For example, uh, one time, long years ago, I spent some time in Southeast Asia, and um, a summer there on a mission trip. And so one of the things we learned was that you don't eat with your left hand in that part of the world. That's a cultural reality. Why? Because they use their left hand for personal hygiene. And that would just gross them out if I picked up some material with my left hand and put it in my face. And so that's culture. They don't, nobody has to think about, oh, what hand should I eat with today? It's all defined by culture. We all have that. We're all unaware of our own culture. Culture's like the, the water that the fish swims in. So we're really unaware of it. But the fact is that Mormonism creates a culture with people, and it, and it answers questions for them that affect our evangelism. It answers questions for them like, how do I know what's true and what's not true? Who, what voices do I consider to be credible or not credible? Um, how do I make spiritual decisions? And some other factors like, like how do I respond when I'm hearing something that's different from, from what I'm supposed to, to believe? And all those things are part of the LDS culture, and so it might be different from our, the culture that we have as, as Christians if we've been in church for a while. Um, and so those are some things that need to be taken into account so that we don't like step in um, a landmine along the way. So that's sort of an introduction in the book, which is good that you did a good job on that chapter, Ross, understanding culture, because, you know, we, we understand LDS culture because we live in Utah, but a lot of readers, a lot of our listeners aren't going to really be clued into that. So it's helpful to know how Mormons view the world. But I think also then in chapter two, you talk about another thing that's a big deal, really, in the LDS culture, and it has to do with testimony, the LDS testimony, the, the, this idea that personal experience is really the ultimate authority for a Mormon, which is different for our Christian listeners. Right. So there's three authorities in Mormonism. There's the authority of their prophets, including past prophets like Joseph Smith. There's the authority of their scripture. And they, they have a unique set of scriptures. They the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Bible is part of their scripture as far as it's translated correctly. So that's an authority for them. But ultimately, what it comes down to is the authority of, of personal testimony, personal experience, and that's the ultimate authority in their life. Because So, so the, the Book of Mormon, in the last chapter of the Book of Mormon, it says, if you'll pray about this book um, with a sincere heart, then, the, then God will reveal the truthfulness of it to you. And so that has become a paradigm that they're taught to pray about something and, and wait for a warm feeling from God that validates the truth of the thing that they're praying about. And they'll use that for the Book of Mormon, but they'll also use that for uh, just to make decisions in life oftentimes. And so when you're talking to a, a Latter-day Saint person and they don't have an answer maybe for the the scriptural argument that you're making or whatever it might be, they'll revert to the testimony. The testimony is like a shield that prevents them from, you know, um, really grappling with uncomfortable ideas. And so their testimony goes like this. They'll say, I, I want you to know, I know for sure that 
the Mormon church is true, that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, that the current prophet is a prophet of God. I, I know that Jesus leads our church, and it's, it's a set of affirmations that they have been validated by an experience, and it's their final refuge um, in considering what's true. Yeah, I remember when Tracy and I were meeting years ago, we first moved to Utah, we met with some missionaries for probably six or seven months. It was great. We built a great relationship with them. But on several occasions, as we would ask them questions, as we would engage with them, as we would go kind of go back and forth on scriptural issues and doctrinal issues and historical issues, and we, we really tried to be gracious and kind and relational through it all. But at a couple of different points, the Mormon mission, at least one of the missionaries would do what you're saying here. They would bear their, isn't this called bearing their testimony? They would bear their testimony. So again, I would really encourage our listeners to think about this, that if you're going to be meeting with Mormon missionaries, if you share, if you really try to share with them and you get them to a point where they don't really have the answer to your question, or they're maybe starting to, they don't, they're not sure what to say, you, you might hear what what Ross just mentioned. It's, I believe, Ross, let's go over it again. I believe. Well, there, there's five things. I can't remember what the five are, but uh, yeah. but they include the truthfulness of the church and mm-hmm. the prophet, the current prophet, the past prophet, Joseph Smith, um, and, and the Book of Mormon. I believe the Book of Mormon yeah. is from God yeah. and things like, things that like that are unique to them. And when they do this, what, what I found, Ross, is when, when they when one of them bore their testimony, basically the conversation was over. <laughs> like they're, they were basically saying, we're not going to talk about that anymore. I'm not going to let you you know, question me or create doubts in me. I don't know if that's how they were trained back then or if that's even still how they do it. So it's interesting that, that they, they have this defense mechanism that they put up, which is you know, I'm going to bear my testimony. I know it's almost like putting, fi- this is how it came across to me, Ross, like putting your fingers in your ears when you were a kid and going, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Like, I'm not listening anymore. I'm not listening anymore. Now, again, maybe that's changed a little bit with current, with, you know, missionaries that come to your door today, but that was a big deal back then. And, and you, you know, our listeners might experience that as well. But it's not just their, them bearing their testimony. Ross, like you said, they're going to say to you, multiple times, and this is what, what happened with us, multiple times they're going to say to you, just read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. Yeah, Just read the Book of Mormon and pray about it. You need to get your own testimony. You need to develop your own personal testimony, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, to us, for because of our culture, it does sound like fingers in the ears and, you know, uh, but to be more charitable toward them, you know, it is their culture. That's how they've been taught. That's how they've learned to. And so they're going like, well, I, you know, I don't care what you say because I know the truth, period. And it's like, you know, a salesman could come to my house and try to convince me to buy some product. And I say, well, look, look, I've read, you know, I've read consumer reports, whatever. I know what, what your product is. So I have a bait. I have a, I have a, a form of knowledge that is greater that I consider to be greater than the salesman who's trying to sell me something. That's their approach. Now, the problem is, that um, you know, that's we don't think that that's valid, and it's not valid scripturally. But now, I would say that the testimony, the idea of experiential knowledge, that's a legitimate form of knowledge. And there's something in the Christian life that that says that we do have experience. We do know truth by experience. I can think of times in my life where God has shown up, you know, and I and it's been validated. My faith in God has been validated because He met. I met with Him, and in some sense, a way. But the problem is the difference is that in Mormonism, it's the testimony is the highest authority and it trumps everything else. It trumps scripture, it trumps rationality and so forth. For us as Christians, even though testimony is part of our experience, is part of our of our relationship with God, it, it's underneath the scripture. And if my experience or my the things I think happen because of my experience, it goes against scripture, then then it's invalid. And that's the difference. Um, ultimately, between our approach to authority and to experience and the LDS approach to authority and experience. There's terms, I've had a lot of guys who said over the years who've said, hey, I don't care if you could prove to me that Joseph Smith was a fraud and not a prophet. I know. I just just know for sure. God gave me a testimony. 
And here's a great passage for our listeners to maybe write down, pray through, memorize, be ready to share with your Mormon missionary. And it comes from 1 John 5, verses 9 through 13. Ross, I'm going to read it. And it's it's speaking about testimony, but it's such a great passage to share with somebody, with a Mormon missionary, even as they're bearing their testimony or encouraging you to develop your own testimony. Here's what God's Word says. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, or sorry, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and that his life is in his Son. I love that. Verse 11, just has, I'll read that again. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So a lot of talk about testimony there, but Ross, this is really focused on Jesus. It's not focused on the church. It's not focused on your personal experience. So how would you use this um, with a Mormon missionary. Yeah, so I'm going to use this as a prelude to me sharing my testimony of faith. And this points out that my testimony lines up with God's testimony, that God has given us a testimony, and that's the ultimate testimony, um, that, that my experience lines up with what God has said is true. God's not a liar. And it says that God has given us life. If you have the Son, you have the life. And so I might share how I've come to know that and experience that in my life based on Scripture. And I responded to Jesus one day, and I said, I need your life, and so and so forth. And so I would ask, we could ask, as I bear my testimony to them, we could ask the missionaries, do you have this life? Do you have the life that God says he promises here? If you believe in the name of the Son of God, you may know that you have it. Do you know that? And they won't be able to say they know it because their eternal life is based on a lot of conditions and worthiness and, and measuring up to what God has, God's commandments. And so this, this helps to differentiate the nature of the gospel that they represent versus the biblical gospel that I represent. And it also helps me to really to create maybe some thirst. I'm hoping it creates some thirst in them to go, oh, I would like to know. I want to know that I have eternal life. I can't know that now. And it may, uh, maybe it creates what um, one apologist, Christian evangelist has called a pebble in the shoe. You put a pebble in their shoe, and you're not going to convert them right away, but you could put something that that a pebble in the shoe, you walk on it, you walk on it, and eventually it starts to wear your foot down. You got to take your shoe off. You got to deal with it. And so you can ignore it for a while. And so it might create the pebble in the shoe effect um, for the missionary that later on they're going like, man, I just can't get away from that idea um, that I could know and have assurance based on what God has said. Yeah. And by the way, I want to encourage our listeners, you know, in Utah, we've been noticing this, Ross, there is a movement for sure like the holy spirit is moving among even return missionaries and mormons all around you know in the in the areas around our campuses at alpine church and we have just seen so many mormons investigating interested in knowing the jesus of the bible um our our co-hosts on the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, Bo and KD. Bo is a return missionary. Bo was a seminary teacher, basically like a youth pastor for the Mormon church. And he is just on fire for Jesus and, and helping so many. He and Katie are helping so many people come away uh, from the Mormon church and encounter biblical Christianity. By the way, we have a series at PursueGod.org called Leaving Well, which is a four-week series to help Mormons to process some of their questions and some of the issues that they're, de- they're dealing with. Because, you know, the goal here isn't to get someone to reject Mormonism. The goal is to get them to accept Jesus. And, uh, and so Leaving Well helps them to do that. We have a, uh, we're working currently on a LDS investigator version of The Pursuit, which is our flagship series at PursueGod.org. So the idea is if you do have the opportunity to lead someone to faith out of Mormonism, as you said, Ross, it's probably not going to be a Mormon missionary because there are a lot of controls built into that. 
Um, not that not that it couldn't happen. Anything is possible with God, but more more than likely, it'll happen after they come back or after they've experienced their mission. They might then start asking questions, and so you can bring them through leaving well. Then you can bring them through the pursuit for LDS investigators and help someone to come to faith in Jesus. And uh, but but the the interaction that they have with you while they're on the on their mission might be that pebble in the shoe. It might be that thing that really helps them. Instead of you slamming the door in their face, you love them, you share Jesus with them, and you just trust that that's just going to be just going to be one of the pebbles that might eventually lead them to Christ. Now, Ross, chapter three in the book, um, you guys talk a little bit about the Mormon missionary experience, and you you give folks a glimpse of the daily missionary life. We're not going to get into great detail. People can read that chapter, but just give us a quick little overview of what, what does that look like so people can have some empathy for these missionaries. Yeah, that's written by a former uh, LDS missionary who follows Jesus now. The rest of the chapters are after Corey's and mine. Uh, are all written by those former missionaries. But the, this chapter three, we just really wanted to say, uh, create empathy. We want you as a person who's talking to these missionaries to understand how what their life is like. And he goes through the blow by blow every single day of the week. And we get up at six o'clock and here's all the things we do and you're the structure of it. And and as he tells his story about being called on his mission and, and experiencing his mission, you can also get a sense of the angst that's involved for many of these young people. Um, the idea that it's hard. It really is hard. And, and he uses a, an analogy of climbing Mount Everest, and it feels like a great achievement. Um, but if you think about it for a minute, what's really up there on the top of Mount Everest is lifeless. You know, it's frozen. It, there's nothing that lives up there. And he says, why are we, we're, we're spending all this time as missionaries climbing into this, this lifeless experience, this lifeless zone, and how and he shares just all the ways that uh, the missionary experience can be like that and how challenging it can be. And then the last five chapters, Ross, you you have your authors kind of talk through each of the five lessons. Now, the Mormon missionary lessons used to be six, but now currently they're they're condensed into five lessons. So let's just kind of walk through each of those lessons. Lesson one is about the restoration. And th- this is really helpful for our Christian listeners to understand. Here's a, here's a here's maybe the easiest way to explain this to a somewhat well-informed Christian is you know most Christians understand the reformation, you know that started back in, you know, 500 years ago, the reformation movement coming out of some of the abuses in the Catholic Church and now the the Protestant Reformation movement sort of moved forward. And maybe a good way to understand Mormonism is in the early to mid-1800s, then Joseph Smith claims to have started the Restoration Movement. So it's not a reformation of a church, of the church, it's the restoration of the church. So explain what that means. Well, the difference between those two terms is that a Reformation implies that the church has existed and it's been around, and it just needs to be changed and, and reformed, approved, or whatever. And the, but a restoration implies that it disappeared and it needs to be brought back again. So the LDS claim is that the church that Jesus established on the earth died with after the maybe with or after the apostles, and so authority was lost. Authority is a big thing in Mormonism. The authority to do everything that God tells you to do, baptize and all the rest, was lost because this chain of command was broken and, and went away. The Bible was corrupted. And so they don't really trust the Bible. And so this this whole thing that was lost, it was lost for centuries. And people, you know, had a glimpse of the truth. And Christians in those days, you know, had maybe they were they were operating on less than the truth. They had maybe were um, sincere, whatever, but they didn't have the, the authority. They didn't have the truth. That was all restored through Joseph Smith in the early 1800s. So the claim is that you know that an angel appeared. The angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith, gave him the um, you know these plates that he was able to translate. That's what the Book of Mormon is. Again, for our listeners who want more information on the history and and of Joseph Smith himself and and what he claims this first vision was, all this kind of stuff, I encourage people to listen to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast. We cover a lot of this 
in, in the first 20 episodes or so of the podcast. But that's the basic idea. Um, and and so Joseph Smith is the one who was chosen uh, to be the prophet that, you know, the, you know, to restore this gospel that was lost from the early church, from the, uh, the age of the apostles. They basically throw the Nicene Creed and all the creeds under the bus. They say that the church lost its way, that the Bible can't be trusted, all these things. And so, um, so we, you know, that we need to come to the, I guess Mormons would say they're the real Christians, right? In fact, in fact, oh, I've yeah. heard yeah, Mormons sure. mm-hmm. starting to use the phrase. We call ourselves biblical Christians. They would call a lot of times they'll call us Nicene Christians, <laughs> you know, which I'm okay <laughs> with because we believe yeah. in the Nicene Creed. But they don't. They say nope, it's not true. You know, those are that's a man-made corruption of some of these original thoughts and ideas. And so this whole idea of the restoration is going to be the first lesson that someone's going to learn. What what should our listener? How should our listener respond to that, Ross? When when they first hear this in missionary lesson number one? Yeah, you know it has to be the first lesson because they don't have anything to tell you after that if you don't accept the idea of this great apostasy that that you need what was lost. And so, uh, you know, first of all, that this claim of apostasy is not based on scripture and it's not based on history. There's no way to demonstrate historically that this that the church lost all of its doctrinal truth and authority. The question of authority is interesting because authority is not doesn't come through a priesthood. That's the way the Mormonism talks about. It. That's an Old Testament way of looking at it. Jesus now is our priest, and Jesus gives authority to his followers. There's authority that's inherent in the commands Jesus gives. If my, if he says baptize, then I have authority to baptize because he said to do it. It's like my dad might give me a you know a dollar and say, "Hey, I want you to go down to the corner store and buy me a newspaper." Well, I don't. I'm not going to get to the corner store with my dollar and and question. Oh, what's or who has the who gave you the authority to come buy this newspaper? No, my dad did because he told me to go do it. And so that that's authority. The whole Mormon idea of authority is a little bit out of whack. Now, the Bible is also established by the science of textual criticism, the reliability of the Bible. Um, and so all the thing, a lot of things that were, quote, restored by Mormonism were never there in the first place. And so they added stuff back that was never part of the New Testament church. And so this, this lesson is going to create maybe a narration of facts or so-called facts that, that sounds plausible, if it's all accepted, but it's not verifiable, and so that's what we're gonna we're gonna warn in this chapter that the Christian who is uh, hearing this story that that it doesn't add up, it doesn't stack up, and that your faith is valid and it's based on the authority of Scripture and Jesus, the authority that He told you um, to to go and live for Him, and so all these things are reliable and valid. Yeah, the church over the centuries needed to be reformed at times but it never did cease to exist. Yeah, one of the things that might be helpful to say to a Mormon at this point is, because to me this idea that that the church, the true church was lost on earth for, what, 1,600 years or something like that, essentially is what they're saying, because they say that the apostasy happened after the last apostle died, so, you know, probably... 90 AD, 180, somewhere, they don't, they won't, they won't actually tell you a date, but they'll say somewhere after the last apostle died, it just disappeared. The priesthood disappeared, God's authority disappeared, his word basis, his word basically got corrupted until, until Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith. To me, that paints a picture of God that is so weak, that God can't, that God can't like shepherd his church that that the authority would be lost for 1600 years on earth i think that's maybe a helpful little seed to plant in a in a missionary's mind is to say man that just really makes me think that god's pretty powerless and really that's actually true of mormonism is god is powerless as we're going to as we're going to learn that that the god of mormonism was once a man and and that we could become god someday so it really does lower God's authority in a big way. But these are just little seeds you can plant. You know, I would encourage our listeners not to get into this huge debate and uh, over all these things, because again, you're not going to probably convince somebody and you'll never move past lesson one 
the restoration if you just keep throwing darts at at your missionaries. Maybe it's good to plant some seeds about how how we believe that God is powerful. We believe God is good even. You know, more it's it's helpful to appeal to Mormon the Mormon sense of of a good God. Um and and it's it doesn't paint a picture of a good God to think that he would just re, he would just withdraw his spirit, his presence, his word, his influence, his priesthood that he would withdraw it from the face of the earth for 1600 years. Why would God not have restored lost church like like right after it was lost? If that apostasy is true, why did he wait all this time? And then I'll I'll also ask the missionaries. I'm, I was meeting with missionaries this summer, and uh, several sessions. And so I did ask them. I said, "How do you know that based on this story? How do you know that the LDS Church today will not also go through an apostasy?" Mm. You know, uh, well, if God can guarantee that, and that's what they would say. Well, God, then why wouldn't why didn't God guarantee the first time around? Back to mm-hmm. your argument. Yeah. So, in fact, yeah. that's that's what the FLDS would say. The fundamentalist church of of Mormonism. When you know, not to get into the weeds too much here, but when Joseph Smith died, there was a split. That you know, that what what was it? One of Joseph's brothers, right, started the. He said, "No, I'm the real prophet." Brigham Young said, "No, I'm the real prophet." Brigham Young and the and a lot of the Mormons made the trek across to Utah, and that's the that's the biggest that's the bigger Mormon church today. But there's this splinter group, and there have been yeah. the RLDS. There's all these Lots splinter groups. groups, and I'm sure those splinter groups say, "You guys are the apostates, mm-hmm. not us." And so it really creates a conundrum for Mormons who who are willing to consider it. But again. You know, in lesson one, you're not trying to get too into the weeds on this. Just recognize mm-hmm. that they're going to talk about the restoration, plant some seeds there. And then if and when you move on to lesson two, Ross, you're going to be talking about the plan of salvation. How does the Mormon plan of salvation differ from the biblical plan of salvation? Well, what they mean when they talk about the plan of salvation, they're talking about this large meta narrative that, that defines what truth is like. And it goes all the way back to the pre-mortal existence, what happened at the beginning of creation, and it goes forward to what happens at the end of eternity and what's our future eternal destiny. And so the plan of salvation describes all of these factors, these roles, how God was at work in different ways, and it's really about how we can return to God's presence and become like Him. it focuses on the atonement of Jesus to overcome the effects of the fall, but the atonement of Jesus is limited. And, um, and so this gives us the story that we want to follow in life. And then the next chapter, the third chapter we'll talk about, tells us what our role in that story, how we're going to respond to that story in, in practical ways. And so it starts with creation. God created everything. The creation account, it talks about how um, we li- existed in, in a pre-existence as, as spirit children of God, how we came to this earth, how we're tested, tested this earth to find out if we can return to the Heavenly Father or not, the role of Adam and Eve, the role of Jesus, and then what happens after this life in the spirit world before the resurrection, what happens after the resurrection and the different degrees of glory that people can attain, attain in heaven. And so that that's, in other words, it's their way of looking at how is God at work in the world, and what's God's plan for His humanity? Okay, so heads up to our listeners that when you get to lesson two, there's going to be a lot of language that sounds similar to some of the stuff you understand, but you're going to start hearing some weird things like the pre-existence, which isn't biblical, and many other things. So Ross, what is, you know, this is kind of really a setup lesson for lesson three, which we'll get to in a second. You know what's the what's the what should be the response of the Christian investigator, right? Who's talking with Mormon missionaries? How should they respond to lesson two? Well, lesson this is where the actual theology comes into play in the doctrine. So lesson one is more about a view of history and so forth, and, and there are some things to talk about. We said like the Bible and like uh, the nature of God, but here's where that you know you start to get into the nitty gritty of it, and so there's a lot of places where the Christian could take issue or or show there's a different biblical perspective with an, any number of things that are embedded in this story. 
And so um, one of the ones that we talked with my missionaries who are visiting my house, we talked a great deal about Adam and Eve and the nature of their fall, because Mormonism doesn't see it as a fall. They don't. They see it as a choice that God gave to Adam and Eve that they had. They could eat the fruit of the tree, and that would be a transgression. But without eating the fruit of the tree, they could not fulfill God's mandate to uh, multiply and fill the earth. And so they had a choice between a transgression and a sin, and they chose the right choice from the Mormon point of view. Um, they see it as a step forward in the unfolding of God's purpose for humanity, whereas biblically, it's always portrayed as a great spiritual tragedy that brought ruin to humanity. So we talked a lot about the role of Adam and Eve. We talked a lot about the nature of a preexistence, and the Bible doesn't support the idea of a, that we existed in a different world before we became embodied in this world. And then there's a certain amount of talk, quite a bit of talk we could have about the nature of the afterlife. Um, the, the Mormons believe there's a second chance to accept Christ after you've died and you're in the spirit world. And then all of the thing about heaven, and there's really no, nothing in the, in the Mormon story about hell. And so that's clearly hell is a big part of what, the, what Jesus and the Bible are talking about, warning people about separation from God, but, the, but uh, Mormonism doesn't have a view of hell, and their view of heaven is different from the Christian biblical view of heaven. So there's a lot of things you could go into in this, in this chapter. Yeah, and I would encourage, again, I would encourage our listeners to maybe check out the first five lessons, or first five episodes in the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, Ross. That's where you and I walk through what Mormons believe and compare it to biblical Christianity. And you know, it might be helpful for you to just get some of this background because all this, all all doctrine is is interrelated. So, you know, as you talk about the plan of salvation, it's helpful for you as a Christian. This will really help you to nail down what biblical doctrine is, so that you can talk intelligibly with your Mormon missionaries about it. But I would also say that you know, probably you're going to be taking a lot of notes, making some, you know, making making some notes for yourself on this, and you might not want to get too into the weeds in in lesson two with your Mormon missionary, because a lot of this stuff is going to come to a head, Ross, in the third lesson, which is where um, the missionaries are going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ from a Mormon perspective. So explain what that is from their perspective and how it differs from biblical Christianity. Yeah, biblically, the word gospel means good news. And the biblical perspective is that the good news is that Jesus has made the, done everything you need to be right with God. He did it on the cross, and he rose from the dead. By trusting in him, then uh, we can avail of our, ourselves of his provision. The LDS gospel is that uh, there's a way to eternal life and exaltation if you follow the right principles and you do the right ordinances and you keep the commands of God, that uh, you have to have faith to start. But faith is an active word. Faith is, is not believing or trusting. Faith is doing. Then, then repentance, baptism, uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost, all these things must be done in, in ritual form, and then you have to endure to the end. In other words, you have to keep all the commandments of God until the very end. And so it, it really doesn't sound much like good news, you know, compared to the... the great news of that Jesus has done everything we need to be right with God. When we're hopeless, he had, he's provided. And so it does create for the Mormon who takes it seriously a weight of, am I worthy enough? Have I measured up enough? Have I done enough to fulfill all these commands and ordinances to be right with God? Yeah, good way to understand this difference, a simple way to understand this difference. And Ross, I don't know if the missionaries would use this kind of language, but but it's it's there for sure, is that the Mormon gospel, which is no gospel at all, by the way, it's, no, it's not good news. The Mormon gospel is that salvation equals faith after, or it equals, equals grace after all we can do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, it's this combination of grace plus works, and that's literally the language that that is in some of their writings. It's grace after all we can do. The biblical message is it's grace plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. And Galatians is a great book of the Bible where Paul just makes this so clear. It is it is not good news. You know, in fact, Paul says in Galatians one, 
if we, or even an angel from heaven, remember Moroni was an angel from heaven. If we preach a gospel other than, if, if even an angel from heaven preaches a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally accursed. And Paul even says it again in Galatians chapter one. And so that's a good, a good reminder is just, you know, Christians listening, just plant that seed, put that pebble in the shoe again is the biblical gospel is so much simpler. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not, it's not Jesus plus your works, because then you can never have that assurance. You never know if you've done enough. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's great. It's not grace after all we can do. It's grace because Jesus did it all. He did all the work. And so there's a lot of things in here that could be discussed. And to really understand that that fundamental difference in these two Gospels, and that comes out it really in the last chapter, which we'll get to in a minute. Okay, then the fourth missionary lesson is going to go through the commandments. Okay, so, and this is covered in chapter 7 in your book, and, and the, the LDS claim is that God has given specific commandments that that help Mormons apply gospel principles so they can live lives that are worthy of God's blessing. And so this is, again, this is part of the salvation experience for them is you've got to keep all these commandments. What's the, what's the, what are they going to be sharing here? And what's a biblical response to this? Right. This is partly, if you get this far in the lessons with the missionaries, there's a sense that they are encouraging you to set a date for baptism, to pray about your baptism all the way back to week one. You know, they'll start planting the seeds, and they really want that to—they'll emphasize that here. But this is part of this lesson is really they're trying to check out potential new members to make sure that, you know, you really are living up to it. And so there's there's some, some provisions in this lesson that if you don't agree that that's something that you're supposed to do, these different commandments, then they'll they'll pull back, or they'll even end the relationship. And so they're kind of checking out who— is worthy to become a member. But they also want to make sure that it's not a bait and switch and that you know what you're getting into what what after you are baptized that these are the expectations you're going to have. And I, actually uh, these two chapters what are now a lesson 4 and 5 in the current version, the LDS church is revamping their version of preach my gospel. Most most of it's the same, but they've taken these last two chapters um, and combine them into one, one long chapter. Doesn't nothing in it changes, but it's organized in a different way. And so, really, because the whole idea is this is what you're going to have to live. This is the person you're going to have to be if you accept this gospel. It makes it makes sense in their logic. So it's talking about the commandments. It's talking about laws and ordinances. And maybe it's just helpful, Ross, to to clue in our listeners about some of their laws and ordinances, some of the, maybe highlight a couple of things that are, that are actually different. Once you get, you know, if you were to become a Mormon, if someone were to become a Mormon, like what are, what are some of the things then that, what are some of the burdens that they're going to have to kind of accept now as a, as a Mormon? Right. And, And really interestingly enough, some of these we accept as Christians, but we don't accept them as the means of salvation. We accept them as a response. So, for example, they talk about obedience. Well, we want to be obedient to Jesus. He's our Lord, but not to a church, necessarily. They talk about the Ten Commandments. We can affirm the Ten Commandments. Um, they, they talk about um, Bible study, prayer, and we, could, we can affirm all those things. But then they also talk about um, temple work and temple ordinances, and they talk about priesthood authority. We don't accept that idea of priesthood authority. Um, we accept the authority of Jesus. They talk about missionary work and eternal marriage, and, and uh, all of it is um, it's really a, a, a burden to follow these, all these commands and always be looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing them. Now, we, I want to be obedient to Jesus, but it's a different basis. It's not like, oh, this is what I'm doing to climb the ladder, but this is the Holy Spirit in me is changing me, and and the work of Jesus in me is changing me. That's the Christian perspective on obedience. And we don't have all kinds of ordinances that we have to do. We don't have to be baptized to be saved. We recommend baptism as an outward expression of our salvation, but it's not on the checklist. And so um, all of these things create a checklist, create a ladder, create a, a, a pattern of achievement that's required. And um, And we're saying no. 
If we follow Jesus, we obey Jesus, it's a result because he's changed our life. It's the fruit. And Mormons would say, no, it's the root. It's the cause of your, of your, um, of your salvation. Yeah, Bo and KD call it, from the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, they call it the hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a hamster wheel. You're, just, you're, just, you're doing a lot of work, but you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. And you know, as now that they're believers, they understand that. But the biblical message is so much simpler than the Mormon message, and that doesn't make it true. It's also true. Yeah, it's true, yeah. and it's so much simpler. It's so much. It it leads to joy. It leads to purpose in life. And this, so to our listeners, if a Mormon comes knocking at the door, open the door and and be ready to share the reason for the hope that you have. Be ready to to point them to Jesus. Don't don't expect that they're going to pray the sinner's prayer with you <laughs> in your living room. Uh, it could happen, but but really your goal should be to love them, to show the love of Jesus to them, to begin to plant some seeds, to put some pebbles in the shoe for them so that when they come back to Utah or wherever they're from, when they go when when they're done with their two-year mission, they come home some of those seeds were planted and maybe they're going to start investigating some of that stuff. Maybe they're going to, like we're seeing right now, Ross in Utah, maybe they're going to, they're going to check out a Christian church. Maybe they're going to be open to the real Jesus because you, you, you didn't slam the door on their face. You loved them and you showed the love of Jesus to them and you just began to point them to him. So the book is called Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. Again, we'll put a link to that book down below. I encourage you to check it out. And then check out the Unveiling Mormonism podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Just type in Pursue God One Word or Unveiling Mormonism. You should be able to find them and find all of this stuff to talk about this, to share it with folks. Find all of it online at PursueGod.org. And our Mormonism page in particular is helpful for you. So PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. And also, Ross, you have a website. Uh, so just maybe why don't you end by telling us a little bit about your 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 website for people who are coming out of the Mormon church. Right. It's called FaithAfterMormonism.org. And it's basically lots of resources to help with that journey, to help with the emotional, the intellectual issues, the uh, relationship issues and all the rest, so that people, we don't want people to leave, like you said earlier, we don't want people just to leave Mormonism. We don't want a, our message to just be anti-Mormonism. We, we want people to come to faith in Jesus and understand, you know, that there's a better way. Many Mormons leave a Mormonism and head for atheism right away. Um, so our, our goal at faithaftermormonism.org is to help people to say, oh, there's a different way to do this and to lead them in the faith transition toward the gospel of Jesus Christ that is so hopeful and so encouraging. We'll put links to all of that down below. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.